Welcome to the Empowered Embodiment Podcast. I am your host, Robin LaCombra. In this podcast, we explore all the feels in their full spectrum. Movements, both physical and social. Creativity, advocacy, belief systems, ambition, community care. Creating cultures of compassion where more folks feel like they truly belong. So thank you for tuning in. Thank you for being down to do the work. Let's do this. Hello, everyone. I am here and honored to be joined by Diane Bondi. I am so, so very stoked and honored to be sharing this conversation. And yeah, so let's just dive right in. Diane, welcome to Empowered Embodiment. Thank you, Robin. It's an, it's an honor to be here. And I'm excited because I so rarely get to interact with Canadian yogis and especially Canadian yogis of color. So this is, uh, this is exciting. <laughs> Thanks yes. for having me. Oh my goodness. Yes. Thank you for coming. And thank you for naming those things that we're both <laughs> Canadian. We're both women of color in the class that you led just on the weekend, I, I believe. Oh no, I think I was listening to a podcast of yours where people were surprised to hear that there were black folks in Canada. In Canada? <laughs> <laughs> or anywhere else in the world other than America, which I really think is hilarious too. So whatever. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, <laughs> so let this be, you know, putting us on the map. Not only are we Canadian, but we're women of color. Not only that, we are yogis. So boom, we yeah. exist. We are here. We're here and we're talking about it, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so for the folks who are listening that might not know who you are, how about you spend some time introducing yourself? Absolutely. Well, I'm Diane Bondi. Uh, I'm Canadian, born and raised in a, in a smaller town. It used to be like a dirt road uh, when I was growing up, but it's the thriving metropolis now at Burlington, which is not too far away from where you are. Mm -hmm. uh, I started yoga really young. My mother introduced me to yoga uh, with a book that she had purchased at a think like a tag sale or a grad sale or a flea market called Be Young with Yoga. And I started my, uh, my yoga career uh, pretty young, um, or my yoga practice anyway, pretty young. Uh, I've been practicing on and off for about 47 years. I've been a teacher of movement yoga stretching for 30 years. And I... Uh, I wrote a book uh, called uh, Yoga for Everyone, which is available anywhere you can buy fine books. Uh, and uh, the way I came to want to share yoga with everyone is I turned up to a yoga class and had a negative experience with a person who was judging me based on my body size and my skin color that I wasn't supposed to be in that yoga space. And it was, wasn't very welcoming. And so I decided from that experience that I wanted to make yoga a place where everybody felt welcome. I wanted to make sure that yoga um, wasn't gonna continue to marginalize populations that are already marginalized in larger society because that's what I was seeing going on in the yoga mat. So I became an accidental activist by writing a blog post for Elephant Journal back, I think it's in 2012, perhaps maybe 2011. And the blog post was called Yoga Isn't Just for Skinny White Girls. Mm. And that, yeah, that went viral in a hot minute, let me tell you. And <laughs> everybody who ever felt any kind of way in a yoga class had something to say about the article, including skinny white women. <laughs> Everybody's got their thing, right? And it yeah. started a larger, larger conversation that launched my um, path into activism through yoga. So that's how I come to be, I guess. And then social media just amplifies everything, right? Yeah, that's so incredible. So in around the time that you wrote that blog article for Elephant Journal, was that around the same time that the microaggression or aggression aggression occurred um, with the judgy teacher? 
Yes, it happened. Like I went to class, I was pissed off. I came home, I sat down, I wrote about it and I submitted to, to Elephant Journal. And it was funny because I had been toying around with an idea of writing about this for a long time. Just my experience being in the yoga world, being a teacher of color in the yoga world, being a teacher of size in the yoga world and how, uh, how I was received by my peers, how I was received by yoga studios. And I was just really irritated by all of it because there's always this idea that if I'm in a plus size body, somehow I don't practice or I don't take care of myself or mm. this idea that I'm not worthy to be in these yoga spaces or if I'm not decked out head to toe in expensive athletic wear, I don't deserve to be there. Or if I'm a person of color, I can't be an expert in mm. this industry because as we have seen um, within this industry, if you are fair skinned, uh, young, flexible, you're automatically elevated to the seat of expert no matter how much um expertise you actually do have or how much uh um you know teaching you do have or experience you do have, you do have you're automatically if you fit into what society deems as conventionally beautiful or active or fit or whatever that is you're automatically elevated to the seat of expert and i found that super problematic Yes, of course. And thank you for saying that. Um, I hate in the fitness industry or wellness industry, the slogan, your body is your business card. Have you heard that? Right? That's disgusting. <laughs> uh, which is why I call the body political. Like if that's, if that's the way that we regard bodies, then of course the body is political because we are being judged and categorized um, by how our bodies present. And often how our bodies present, they're completely out of our control. Um, Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So I how would... long were you teaching? But, um, how long had you already been teaching when you wrote that article, when you were already like your threshold for tolerance was like, no, no, no more. I'm going to call the shit out. Exactly. The bucket had gotten full at that point. Yeah. Uh, I had, it was six weeks postpartum from my second child that I actually stepped into a yoga space. Prior to that, I had been practicing, you know, taking parks and rec classes with really great teachers who uh, the one thing about doing a, a yoga class in a community center is just like everybody shows up, right? Because it's a community center and there's none of that, I think, trepidation that you have from stepping into yoga studio spaces. But at mm. that point, I had probably been practicing yoga longer than the person who, you know, who was judging me had been alive because she looked pretty young. Uh, so I probably have been a practitioner already for 25, 30 years when she decided. Um, so I was 33. So when she decided that I, uh, I was unfit to be in the yoga space. So, you know, 30 years, <laughs> 32 <Wow>. years. <laughs> um, and because you started your practice at home, uh, at home with your, your folks, with your mom, I yeah. wonder, was representation ever a thing that came up for you or that you noticed before mm -hmm. entering yoga spaces? Like, did you no. ever feel... Uh-huh. No, not at all. Uh, because my mom and I only ever did it at home. Like, it's just like, I think my mom had some anxiety about what the church might think of her practicing. Cause I, mm. I'm, you know, in communities of color and in black communities in particular, uh, that, that are religious, there's sometimes a push and a pull around that. It was funny. Um, my friend Keisha and I do a uh, yoga together. We call it black girl yoga. And the two of us just get on FaceTime or zoom or something. And we practice together. And when we're not in COVID times, we go to yoga together. Our sons play soccer together. So uh, we, uh, we drop them off at soccer practice and then we go to yoga because soccer practice is two hours and we go to yoga for an hour and then we come back That's with perfect. Some, right. It's like girl night. We go drop mm -hmm. them off, go to yoga, you know, get a, get a tea or something and then come back and watch the last part of practice. Um, but I had, I hadn't experienced that just because I hadn't been out in the yoga world. And it was a shock mm. to me. The first time I stepped into a yoga studio space, I thought it was going to be a lot like gym spaces because gym spaces I had been a part of were very, were very diverse communities, uh, you know, center spaces, which I've always been a part of were really diverse. So I, I was kind of expecting that kind of diversity. I hadn't really paid much attention to mainstream yoga culture. I wasn't buying, you know, the mainstream yoga magazines. I wasn't, I wasn't indoctrinated yet. So mm -hmm. that, that was an eye opener to me. And I was like, wait a minute, where are all the black folks? But I did have this idea that within my mother's generation or even community that 
perhaps practicing yoga and finding your spiritual spirituality outside of church was going to be problematic, which mm. is probably why my mom didn't seek out public spaces to do yoga. Mm. So layered and so complex. There are a bunch of things there in what you just said that really stand out to me. Like one, that community centers and gyms tend to be more diverse. Mm-hmm. Two, yoga spaces that are supposed to be welcome <laughs> to everybody, open for all, are actually breeding the opposite kind of feeling that gyms and community centers successfully do. So how do gyms and community centers successfully create uh, an environment of inclusion? Like how are yoga studios missing the mark? Because what you're saying is is so commonly felt among many folks who don't fit into the what unfortunately is at the center of of wellness in the western world which is whiteness and thinness whiteness. yeah yeah uh, so have you do you have any thoughts on that like what are gyms doing successfully to create a culture of inclusion what are yoga studios missing well uh, just just to be clear, I found it more, I would say more inclusive than yoga studios, but not not a bas- not a bastion of inclusivity, right? Like when I go to when I go to the gym, at least when I go to the gym, I, I'll see somebody working behind the desk who is black or Asian or South Asian. You know what I mean? Like I see more people in the gym that are of different ethnicities. Like I just remember I was practicing at a yoga studio, a cycling studio for a long time. And I was the only person of color in that studio. And it was really hard to be in that space. And when I decided I was, you know what, I'm going to go to the gym. I ended up going to the gym. And the first thing I was met with was somebody behind the desk who was a plus size person. And then Mm. I was met with um, a person who was a person of color working the desk. And then when I was in the gym floor, I was never the only person of color in the gym at any time, which was not the experience I had had in yoga studio spaces and other places. I still think there's room for more diversity within gym spaces. I think they can hire more teachers of color because when I do go to a yoga class at the gym, I haven't had, well, I've only had one teacher of color come to think of it, which is more than any other yoga space here in town that I've experienced. But uh, I don't see a lot of diversity uh, at the higher levels, like at the at trainer levels or yoga teacher levels um, and like high management levels where people are making, where, where people have decision-making power. But mm-hmm. the thing where yoga studios and gyms and community centers differ is sometimes when you step into a yoga studio space, there's a lot of iconography around um, yoga. So yoga will tie itself to Buddhism and yoga has its roots in Hinduism, of course, and in in India. And people who have yoga studios, I think, feel it's really zen to pull these these icons into their space without knowing the history of them, with mm. not knowing the relevance of them, without being able to tell the stories of them, but they have a Buddha at the desk because it looks cool. Or perhaps they're using a Buddha as a doorstop because they saw, <laughs> you know, a store, you know, you know, had that. And these float, floating Buddha heads, which is a really weird thing where we chop off Buddha's head and we put it in our garden. Like it's weird because if I had said to people, like if I had said to Christians, if you had cut off Jesus's head and put it in the garden, I think right. people would be offended. Yet, mm. however, we don't fully understand all the things that Buddhism offers or all the philosophies that Buddhism offers. So we just, we kind of use it as decoration without knowing um, the, without knowing the history behind it. And if you're coming from a space where you're not familiar with what yoga is about and you step into a yoga studio space and on the desk is Ganesh and you know, at the wall is Buddha and perhaps you have a picture of Kali or whatever it is. I think sometimes people are confused by that and confused by, uh, you know, what they're stepping into if they're from a community that might be highly uh, religious or spiritual. Sometimes those things uh, will turn people off. Sometimes there's this snooty air, like you're going to a spa, you know, you step into a spa and everybody's in a white coat and everybody's hair is severely pulled back and everybody's makeup is perfect and everybody's white and they're like, how can I help you? And you're like, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) can you help me? (laughs) I know, I don't know if you can help me. 
there's sometimes mm -hmm. that feeling in yoga studio spaces that are that it's very esoteric and the people working behind the desk don't look like you and the people are all decked out in expensive clothing and everybody's you know highly mobile highly flexible highly athletic and you know and I, and that's the imagery that we've seen in modern yoga you know uh media this is what we've seen portrayed it's you know if you go on onto google and you search uh, images on google it's only been in the last year that you'll see a person of color in the first on the first page of google for a long time we were on the sixth or seventh page of google so now somehow we've managed to make our way to the front page of google but uh, the people of color who are on the front page of Google are often racially ambiguous, often, mm. um, you know, still very thin, still very flexible, still very young, still, still fitting these uh, stereotypes. It's just like we've gently colored them just so to make sure that, you know, we appear to be um, diverse, but we're not really featuring a, a broad a broad picture of diversity. So I think that's one of the reasons is there is this predominant uh, idea out there that yoga is this has this acrobatic or performative essence to it. And if you're older or bigger or are practicing with a disability or are a part of, um, you know, a marginalized community or a part of the LGBTQIA plus community, that this is not a space for you because that is not what's being advertised. Very much white cisgender mm. able body seems to be the narrative. And then yoga studios in hopes of drawing people in to pay their very expensive rents will put uh, their businesses in affluent neighborhoods with people who have more disposable income to come to the mat, not offer accessible or classes that are available for people who, you know, might need financial assistance, uh, don't have teachers of color either working the front desk in the studio or teaching. So these are all the things that make yoga a very white space. Yeah, thank you for sharing all of those points. This era of snootiness, this era of exclusivity, um, tropes, religious tropes that don't that aren't of the culture of origin of the folks who own the studio necessarily, which then becomes isolating for folks who are uh, who have religious practices that aren't necessarily in alignment with Buddhism or Hinduism, uh, mm -hmm. whereas gym spaces have a little bit more diversity, a little bit more diversity, and um, it's a, a secular space rather than yeah. Yeah. one that's tied to religion. Totally. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, not religion. I always have to say that. And sometimes black, black folks within the community sometimes believe that, that this is something that's religious and it's really important to, to, to say that it's not. You know, it's like, like, you know, like Buddhism is a philosophy. It's a, it's a practice, you know. It'll draw you closer to whatever it is you already believe. It just gives you skills to manage your life. And that's the way we have to, you know, approach it for certain communities to kind of uh remove the religious aspect from it you know what i does that make sense yeah absolutely like like yoga movement is a mindfulness embodied practice um yes, rather than exactly. a thing that belongs to a specific religion necessarily exactly. yeah uh, and can enhance your existing spiritual journey absolutely you don't have to convert <laughs> to something you don't and, yeah, and, and you know what and you take from it what you need and things that don't speak to you you can you can um set aside and maybe when you circle back around in your yoga journey or career these things will make sense to you then like you know what I mean I don't know about you but uh I had to go back I was taking a course and I had to go back and look through some notes that I had um that I had for my first 200 hour teacher training. I'm like, oh yeah, we did talk about that. Let me see what we talked about so I can be clear. And when I went back through my, you know, my notes for my first 200 hour teacher training, I'm like, oh, I remember not understanding this at all when it was presented in class and reading it now, 10 years later, 15 years later, 20 years later, and being like, oh, oh <laughs> that makes so much sense now. So it's like, like this an evolution. So you might come to it here in this space and then five years from now you'll be like oh that's what she was talking about or oh that's what he meant or oh that's what they meant so it's really important um to know to people you don't have to take it all in it doesn't all have to speak to you right now but you can align yourself with the things about the practice that speak to you and really you know really embody those and harvest that and and see where the journey takes you 
Yeah, I love that. I love you mentioning that. I always talk about, like, though I lead a teacher training uh, in my studio, Good Body Feel, and I always talk about the training being your experiment with finding your intersection. Like, where is your intersection between movement and da 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 da? Like, movement and your spiritual practice, movement and your art practice, movement and your psych practice. Um, there's an intersection there's always an intersection worth exploring and and can we dance at that intersection with curiosity rather than rather than judgment or resistance right Um, which I feel can be a thing especially with the Christian community uh, and and uh, and yoga they they have a hard time dancing at that intersection it, it, yes, I just, I think things that people don't fully understand makes them nervous, perhaps, right. mm. um, and then shy away from it. But for me, things I don't fully understand, I become more curious about. Like, yes. I don't want to avoid it. I want to be like, why does this not make sense to me? Like, what is this wonderful thing? Like, I like to look at the world, and that's what yoga has done for me, is allowed me to look at the world with curiosity. Do you know what I mean? Like, to be curious and to ask other people to do the same right to explore that curiosity but i love the way you look at the lens of yoga through that intersectionality of where you are and what this can offer to you it's just like i think i think i might have to borrow that robin oh borrow <laughs> it borrow it take it spread it <laughs> and, uh, make sure okay. <laughs> um i wanted to circle back a little bit to to entering a space, a yoga space for the first time and it being surprising to you. Um, Do you want to talk about that awakening a little bit, especially because your yoga practice started fully embodied and, and you probably stuck with the practice because of how it made you feel in your body. So at this first sight of rejection or microaggression or harm, can you explain the experience that was happening in your body? and maybe the beliefs around your will, your worthiness of, of the practice. Yeah. And it was a very difficult time when it happened too, because I was six weeks postpartum and I was feeling um, all kinds of ways about my body because I had just had a baby. Um, I, and it was my second baby. So I had, uh, I, my son, Nathan wasn't even two yet. And then I had another baby and I was just like, what have I done to myself? And I was overwhelmed and I was weepy and I was, and my husband finally just said, you know, you should maybe go, go out and get, take a yoga class. You know, one thing about this yoga class is, you know, round trip, it would have been two hours from my house. By the time I got there parking, took the 75 minute class and got back home. He said, you can, I, you know, I've got this for two hours, you know, uh, and I was uh, breastfeeding at the time. So, you know, I wanted to make sure I had this window where I could leave and my baby wasn't going to need me for, you know, a little while. So I remember topping him up and going, okay, I'm gone for two hours. I'm very excited to get out of the house and being in the car by myself for the first time. Cause I hadn't left my house yet. And this was the first time I left my house, um, uh, postpartum because it was winter time and it was snowing and all the things. So my husband was like, why don't you go and, you know, take a yoga class. And he pulled it up online and said, Oh, here's a studio. You can go to this class. He was trying to help me out. I think he just was like, you need to get out. You're driving us all around the bend. <laughs> Too much going on here. We all need a break from mummy. And so, uh, in a good way, in a really good yes, way. And yes. so, um, I went and, uh, he, um, my experience was I was already feeling insecure uh, mm. six weeks postpartum. I was already having all these feelings come up. And then to step to the desk, have somebody who looked like they stepped out of a, a yoga magazine, give me the once over and pretty much dismiss my humanity in that moment in a place where I'm supposed to you know, find unity and connection was heartbreaking. But the thing about my personality and that I find with women of color and black women in particular is that usually for, for people who are marginalized, if you, that can often, I should say, that can often get you started or maybe get you thinking about, okay, I'm not accepted in this 
once again in another space right in this space as well so now i need to create my own space so you yes. know it was a hard at first it was hard it was hard to go through the class because the teacher was so mad that i was there again i was six weeks postpartum this was an ashtanga short form class i'm not an ashtangi i had been practicing you know hatha yoga and vinyasa yoga but not the primary series of ashtanga so i had no idea what was going on at the time and so all of those things coupled together left me very hurt and I talk about it now and I can still feel myself like mm. clenching up in my body uh, um, you know I was uh, abused as a child so uh, I had I suffered physical abuse and whenever I get triggered those parts of my body when I got beat as a kid I always heat up almost so I have this visceral reaction and that was the reaction I had from that and I got back to my car, I sat with it for a moment because that's what yoga teaches me to sit, sit with my discomfort. And I sat with my discomfort through the whole class and I sat with my discomfort in the car on the drive home and thought to myself, I never want anybody else to feel like this. Like this is completely mm. unnecessary and not the yoga that I know. So I got, by the time I had got home uh, from this yoga studio, I had, um, I had decided I was going to open my own space and I did. <laughs> I, opened, yes. I was like, I'm opening a yoga studio because this is garbage. And you know, and that's, that's often the narrative that women of color and people of color have often helped to deal with. If we're not giving an invitation to have a seat at the table, we pull up our own chair or we make our own table. And that has been the history of our people as long as I can remember. So it just seemed natural to me to want to open a yoga studio space. Yeah, thank you for so vulnerably sharing your story there. And that fucking sucks to have gone through all of that, like so much trouble to just arrive to the yoga studio and to like it's I um, I would often hear the hardest part about a yoga practice is showing up to your mat so you did yeah. it you showed up to your mat and then when you showed up to your mat you then had to survive that greeting um and so yeah. gross and I feel like I always say that anybody who interacts with other humans like if you're a human and you interact with other humans you need to be trauma aware because trauma is the uniting current between all human experience. So if you are a human, especially uh, a service provider to other humans, you need to be trauma aware because that's terrible, right? That you were re-traumatized or triggered when you were coming to a practice that's supposed to help you find embodied peace. Absolutely. And it was the opposite of that. Like it just was, it was just, I couldn't believe it to be quite honest because I just hadn't had that experience yet. And then, mm. so what I do now, this, this is interesting. What I do now is I, whenever I travel and teach or if ever I'm in another town, uh, I will go to a yoga studio just to see what kind of reaction I get. Now it's a little bit different now because I've um, managed to accumulate some minor fame on the internet. So I'm not as- <laughs> You're very um, <laughs> humble, Diane. <laughs> I'm not- <laughs> I'm not as, you know, I, I can't fly under the radar as much as I, as I could be, I used to be able to, mm -hmm. um, but I used to go to spaces and then get the same reaction. I remember like four years ago, I went to a yoga studio in Toronto and I just picked a class that was on the schedule and I like to practice early in the morning. So I, I was looking for a 6am class that was close to my hotel. I was at a netic conference and, um, I get to the studio and all studios in Toronto are on a second floor. Like this is like, first of all, if you have any kind of disability or injury, good luck. Cause there's like mm. three flights of stairs you're going to have to come up. And I've never seen an elevator in any of these spaces. So I'm sure somewhere in this building, there's an elevator. So I climb up the three flights of stairs. It's fine. I get to the front desk. The guy who's signing me in is the same person whose picture is on the website. So I'm like, okay, interesting. And he looks me over and he's like, um, so, uh, this is an advanced, and this is how he's talking to me exactly. But this is an advanced practice and a lot of people here like have a regular practice so I'm not going to be able to like slow it down for you and this is how he's talking mm. just like this talking just like this and I smile because I'm like okay that's fine um, I've already been through this everywhere I go so this is not new uh, and I said that's okay you know 
and this is how I'm talking to him. You know, I've seen yoga on YouTube, so I think that I'll be able to figure it out. So don't worry about me. I'll just do my own thing. And he's like, oh, okay, whatever. And so I go and I set up and I can do handstand and I can do forearm stand. And I can do all these fancy, you know, these fancy poses that people like, that people that, you know, that people find interesting, especially when they see them in a plus size body as opposed to a smaller body. And so right. he's signing people in, he comes into class and just because I'm irritated and I'm just that bitch, I'm like <laughs> doing these poses in the room so that he can see the assumptions that he made about me as I climb like three friggin' flights of stairs aren't true and I see him just look at me and then go to the front of the room and guess what Robin I could keep up with this class he deemed uh advanced um for, which for me as a practitioner of you know 40 plus years I can do a lot of stuff in my body I know my body pretty well I have a pretty flexible strong body I'm pretty able-bodied even though I'm a big girl I'm pretty able-bodied and so all he could keep saying during this yoga class was wow, there, you know, there's a lot of people really, really dedicated to their practice here. And, and wow, like, wow. And he kept saying that. Oh I'm like, my God. <laughs> I know you're talking to me, buddy. I know you're talking to me because everybody, well, like, what's the part? So then I, at the end, I just rolled up my mat and left. Like, I'm just like, I'm not even going to entertain any, like, wow, I had no idea. I go, yeah, because you're not supposed to be judging people as they step through the door. I think it's fair to ask everybody who steps through the door, regardless of what they look like, is this your first practice? Oh, great. Do you have any questions for me? No, great. Do you have any injuries I should be aware of? Okay. Like those, I think, want to be welcoming, not like looking at me, making a judgment, not even asking me if I've ever done yoga before. And sometimes in and of itself, that can be irritating because there's always an assumption. I mean, if it's a generic question you ask everybody, then great. But if you look at a black person or a person with a disability or a person in a bigger body and just assume they're not active, I think that's really rude. Oh, it's terribly rude. My mom always would teach me when you assume you make an ass out of you and me. Hello. And, yeah. <laughs> and so curiosity is the antidote to that. Like you can be curious and ask and gain clarity. And that's, yes is the antidote to judgment and comparison and assumption. Um, mm -hmm. I'm so, I, I'm, I'm like snapping my fingers at your, yes, you're that bitch moment. Like, yes, you're that bitch. Yes, you're gonna show him up. I love that you did that. <laughs> I was just like so irritated. I'm just of like, course. I'm gonna show up because everybody's giving me side eye as I walk in in my plus size body thinking, oh God, so many fat people in yoga. Kind of thing. It felt really much like that. And then I come in and I'm flipping around the mat and everybody's like, wait, what? You know what I mean? You know what I mean? I'm like, really? Come on now, people. This yeah, and what this is highlighting is, well, one, fat phobia is a thing. We, and this yep. is, this is, you know, we know this. Um, and if you don't know this, listeners, it's a thing. And if you have internalized fat phobia, welcome to the club. Dismantle it. While you're at it, dismantle yeah. patriarchy and racism, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> They're all connected. All the things. But yeah, what it's uplifting for me is that when you are a part of a marginalized demographic, you have to work harder to prove your worth, to prove your worthiness, to prove that you belong. Like who else needs to write off the street, roll out their mat, and then do a forearm stand? You know, right. like, <laughs> exactly. for, for you to claim your space and take up your space and let people know that you're deserving of that space. Like why isn't that space just guaranteed for you? Absolutely. Why do you have and to do performative things, right? Like, yeah. and even if I couldn't do any of those things, right? Even if I couldn't do any of those things, I'm still worthy of that space. Like, hundred percent. Yeah. 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 Uh, but yeah, I just wanted to really uplift and ground that point that folks of marginalized communities, we have to work harder uh, to, yeah. to feel like we belong and, and to convince you to accept us, which is bullshit. Awful. Yeah. Um, and oh, what was I going to ask? Oh, I lost it, but that's okay. I lost it and that's okay. Um, oh, there it is. So earlier you were saying, you know what, fuck it, I'm just going to, I'm going to pull up my own chair. I'm going to make my yep. own table. I'm going to open up my own studio. Uh, so when we don't get 
when we don't feel welcome or invited to somebody else's space, this is what we do. We create our own spaces. Have you received, what has the response been to you creating your own space and your own programs? Well, in my own program. Initially, I got a lot of pushback from my community. Um, and I, you know, I had a few yoga teachers give me some drama because I decided, you know, I practiced a very vigorous practice for a long time, ended up injuring my shoulder, then then following the path of Anasari yoga, which really spoke to my heart. And I was like, okay, this is great. I'm going to come and bring this to my community. And we were very much a power yoga community. Everybody here in town had studied with this yoga teacher in Michigan, Johnny Kest, his, uh, him and his brother, Brian, are really um, famous um, yoga teachers that studied with I think they said it was Patabi Joyce, but they, you know, and they're very Ashtanga driven and very Vinyasa driven. And I think Brian was the first uh, yoga teacher to kind of create power yoga along with, ba or with Baron Baptiste, this like hybrid mm. Vinyasa, or, or the first one to make it really popular in the early nineties. And so he has a brother here in Michigan that everybody in Windsor went to study with because there were no, believe it or not, no yoga teacher trainings here in Windsor. So if you were going to practice, you would either, or learn, you'd either have to go to Toronto or go to Detroit. Well, Detroit's like a 20 minute drive from where you live in Windsor or a four hour drive to Toronto. So it may, really good sense so a lot of the Canadians who turned out be, to be yoga teachers here uh, and a lot of those uh, uh, studio owners had practiced and learned with uh, Johnny Castle it's a very high energy very performative very um, athletic kind of yoga that was being teach uh, being taught and I found a yoga studio uh, that I liked in Michigan that was Namaste and they were very much everything. So they had yin and they had restorative and they had beginners. Like it was a very different um, understanding of yoga that I had had in the past. And so mm. when I came and I brought this kind all this other stuff with me, like I know there were no yin classes when I was doing this, we didn't see intro to yoga being offered, uh, you know, wide scale or basic classes on the studio. And that's what I wanted to bring to the space. I wanted not to be, not to pull students from other studios, which you can't really do. People find the teacher that resonates with them in the studio that resonates with them and they tend to stay there. I wanted to appeal to people who had never done yoga before and who were curious. I mm. wanted to like demystify it for them. I wanted it to be a, a brave space where anybody could come. So I, you know, I, opened my studio in a, you know, in a middle-class neighborhood. I didn't put it a middle-class, a lower, uh, lower income neighborhood because I wanted people to, to see that I was here. I was a person of color. They could come and practice with me and they could feel safe. It was on a bus route. Like I was really intentional about where I opened my space and I got a lot of pushback in the beginning. Um, there was a lot of jealousy, a lot of competition, a lot of what's the Sanasari yoga? I'm not really sure what she's talking about. A lot of backstabbing, a lot of just a lot of wow. garbage in mm. the beginning. But I kept my head down and focused on my students and not paid any attention to any of the drama that was going on around me. Unless somebody's, unless somebody was like out and out telling lies about me and I'd have to call them out. But I just kept my head down and uh, focused on my students. And I was very fortunate that once I started putting pictures of myself and pictures of the people who were coming into my studio on my marketing, then I really started to get a big cross section of students that were um, more diverse than what I had seen in other studio spaces. Beautiful. I'm so glad that you were able to create that space um, for more folks to bravely step into a practice that serves their body uh, and a space where more people can feel belonging. And despite the pushback, uh, you you kept persevering. And I, as I'm hearing you reflect on the pushback, I'm like, isn't that some shit? Like one, <laughs> no one offered you a seat at the table, so you brought your own chair. No one then moved over so that you could fit your chair at the table. So then you went to, you went and grabbed another table and sat at your own table, your own chair. And then they're like, no, you can't have that either. Like, <laughs> what can you have then? Like, Hello. can you live? Yeah. No kidding. This is like, and this is the narrative of the whole world, right? This is the, this is simply a microcosm within the yoga space that we see in the larger context of the world, right? When we think about protesting, right? So Colin Kaepernick for the last five years has been taking a knee for the, um, for the uh, national anthem. And all of a sudden, like, everybody's like, no, you can't do that. You can't protest that way. 
okay, so if we can't protest that way, let's march in the streets. Oh, wait, you can't protest that way either. You know, like, it, it's like, when it, you can't like, win. You can't win. You know, you just can't win. And this, it, so you just have to keep pushing forward. I, I go in with the attitude that, okay, there's going to be resistance. Okay, there's going to be pushback. But this is not my problem. This is their problem. And I'm just going to yes. keep doing what I'm doing. Yeah, that's so, so great. And I hope that inspires folks that are listening who are maybe feeling hesitant about being louder with their voice and braver with their boundaries that that you can do it. And, and that yeah. is the way. And that when you are committed to your wellness, because wellness is a part of social justice, it's a necessary part of social justice, um, that, that you'll inspire people and people will come and, and benefit and be an exchange. And haters are going to hate regardless. Regardless. And you can't be concerned about that. If I was concerned about all the people who didn't like me about stuff, you'd be like a basket case, honest to God, because everybody's got something to say. Everybody's got a criticism. Everybody's an expert. Everybody knows better than you. And it's, you know, it's okay to step away from, from that and say, you know what, I know what's best for me. I know what my community needs. And I'm able to do that because we often kind of fall into what we call uh, imposter syndrome. Well, mm -hmm. am I smart enough to do this? Should I be doing this? And I always say the answer is yeah. If you look around and nobody's stepping up, that means you have to do it. <laughs> Ooh, I love that. If you look around anyway. and nobody is stepping up, you have to do it. I love that. I love that. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that's how I that's how I roll. Like if I look around, like somebody should be doing something. Oh, damn it. Guess that means I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. That's how I roll. <laughs> yeah, it's like I roll. I guess I'll do it again. Oh, um, yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and now, you know, in the current climate that we're in, right, we're, we're still in a global pandemic, and some places are in mm -hmm. phase two of reopening, and we're in the Wanna... middle of a really hot, 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 highly charged race war. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so now it's kind of the trendy thing to do to be anti-racist. Oh, uh, God, yes. <laughs> oh, God, yes. Yeah, and you, when I op I have a parallel story. I, I opened up my own studio because I didn't feel like I belonged. No one was offering me a seat at the table, or if they did, they weren't valuing my voice. It was just it was just a chair, and I was meant to be silent. Um, and so I opened up my own space. I received so much flack. Called an aunt. Uh, I was a reverse racist for having oh no such thing, people. I know. Oh my god. Um, and, and being faulted or vilified for politicizing yoga and politicizing wellness. I've been, I've been called a bully, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And now, and now that it's hot and trending, they want to be all students, oh my goodness. It's so, it's so oh. upsetting because it's like, and yeah, anyways, I, I, I've just, I'm, I'm, my whole body is, is resonating hearing what you're hearing your story and your path. Cause I'm feeling myself nod like me too, me too, me too. Um, mm -hmm. and, and my body presents very much differently than your body does. Like I'm not a black woman. Yes, I'm a woman of color, but I'm, my culture of origin is from the Philippines and, uh, and, and yes, it was a colonized, um, Mm -hmm. colonized sector of islands as well but you know it's it's not the same and so mm -hmm. it just goes to show the interconnectedness um mm -hmm. of of experiences but that i only am tasting a fraction of what you might be uh, and and can people start waking up to that it's an interesting time because a lot of this uh, anti-racist work that people are doing, like people are waking up every day, right? As if, as if people of color have been lying for the past hundreds <laughs> of years. This has been our experience. And, uh, you know, being shut down in COVID, consuming copious amounts of media, like there's all these things that came together to a point where everybody was like, holy smokes, you know, we watched a man die by having somebody kneel on his neck for almost nine minutes, eight minutes and 46 mm -hmm. seconds. And, and then all of a sudden, we all collectively got outraged when this kind of stuff goes on day in and day out. And news to those of you in Canada, we are no better than the Americans. As a Black woman, when I, when I walk through the, the city of Toronto, I'm 20 times more 
uh, likely to be shot by the police than a non-black person. And this is a highly racialized city where something ridiculous like, I don't know, 53 or 54% of the population is other than white. You know what I mean? It's a very racialized city and to still have those statistics in a city that is so diverse is mind boggling. And Canada oh, yes. has its own history of oppression and racism and segregation and all those things that they don't teach us in school that you will have to research on your own that aren't part of your school curriculum. So don't, don't Canadians, don't break your arm patting yourselves on the back. I mean, Robin, you're speaking to an experience that I'm assuming happened to you. No, no I know I'm not supposed to assume. In the current <laughs> um, yoga community that you are in now. And I am so tired of this reverse uh, racism narrative because people don't understand what racism is. Anybody can be a bigot, right? A bigot is a person who doesn't like some other person based on their skin color or religion or sexual orientation or whatever it is, right? Anybody can decide, I don't like you because fill in the blank, okay? But racism is a power structure. As a bigot for one particular culture, I don't have the power to limit your access to healthcare. I don't have the power to limit your access to, to wealth and generational wealth. I don't have the power to keep you from getting a job or moving into a neighborhood that you want to move into. That is where bigotry plus power equals racism, right? Bigotry plus power equals racism. So there's, you can be a bigot, you call people a bigot, but it's not reverse racism. I can't stop you from living your life based on your skin color and your skin color is not a deterrent from you showing up in the world and getting what you feel you deserve. So that's where these things differ and I need people to be clear on that and stop using the term reverse racism. It would only be reverse racism if, if all of us uh, people of color got together and, and accumulated enough power to keep white people down and that has yet to happen. Yes, thank you. Preach going to school with Diane Bondi. Yes, <laughs> bigotry plus power equals racism. I, I am so grateful for you uh, being so clear and so poignant with that Ugh. definition. I'm just so tired of hearing this. Well, that's racist against me. I'm like, no, it's prejudice, maybe, but it's not racist. <laughs> yeah, um. yes, thank you. You're um, welcome. It's exhausting. I spend my life <laughs> trying to tell white folks, you don't have it that bad. <laughs> if you had to live in my, if you had to live, walk in my shoes for any period of time, you would run screaming from this body. Just trust and believe. Trust and believe. Yeah. <laughs> and that so. is some shit. <laughs> right? 100%. 100%. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah. I saw a post on, cause it's Juneteenth, right? Right now is June 19th, yes. June 19th, 2020. Yes. Uh, and so lots of folks are, are posting things. And one of the posts that I saw was of uh, Ruby Bridges, who 59 oh, yeah. years ago was the uh, first. That's only 59 years ago. That's not that only, long ago. Yeah, only 59 years ago, she was six and was the first black kid to attend an all-white school and she had to have full entourage guard. of chaperones to protect her yeah. from a mob of white parents uh -huh. calling her the n-word and they showed up with a baby coffin and a black doll in the coffin like this poor girl was six and this was only 59 six. years ago and all she wanted yeah. to do all she wanted to do y'all was go to school Mm -hmm. and so that's that's racism that's that's trying to Over. limit someone's access that is using someone's your power to limit mm -hmm. someone's access to what is rightfully everyone's knowledge is rightfully everyone's feeling good in your body is rightfully for everyone um Absolutely. yeah so big ups to ruby bridges for woo, surviving that, that and only 59 years ago only 59 right. years ago to put it in perspective i'm 50 do you know what i mean that Oof. is you know 
to put it in perspective, I'm 50. So that is not that long ago. And all those people who were there keeping her from getting an education, I bet you a lot of those people are still alive. And a lot of people can still remember that. You know, when I look at uh, pictures of civil rights protesters in the streets in the early, um, in the late 60s being, being a shot with fire hose being attacked by dogs. Let's keep that. Let's keep in mind that that was only 53 years ago. That's not that long ago, everybody, right? That's not that long ago. And to say that things are different or things should be different, you would think after 60 years of fighting the good fight that we still wouldn't have to be saying in 2020, Black Lives Matter. Because mm -hmm. a month ago, had I said Black Lives Matter or two months ago, I would be with this reverse racism bullshit that people try to play. People would be calling that a terrorist organization and that's racist against white people. White people, you do not get to decide what is and what isn't racism. And you don't get to decide how uh, people of color react to these kinds of things. And you don't get to tell people whether they're being sensitive or any of those things. And if that makes you uncomfortable for me to to say that to you, I need you to do some deep self-reflection on who you think you are, on how you think you should show up in this world, because it's not helpful to the rest of us. And if you can't do that deep self-reflection and wonder why these things bother you so much, I'm going to need you to step to the side because there's other people who want to do the work. Yes. Thank you. Being called forth by Diane Bondi to take a beat, take a beat, <laughs> <laughs> breathe. Be uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Good for you. That's what we <laughs> learn in yoga class. Apply your yoga to your life, people, please. Yeah, that's the point. And if you aren't, then you're missing the point. Absolutely. If you aren't, you're missing the point. Um, I heard you say in a video, I'm pretty sure it was posted on your website. You were leading a teacher training or a workshop. I heard you say, um, amplify empathy. And this really, really, really struck all of my heartstrings. And I just love the combination of those two words together. Um, and I think this is the, the kryptonite, right, for everything that we talked about, all of the harm that we unpacked together and, and the harm that is currently swirling around so chaotically everywhere around the world right now. Um, and so can you speak on that? Amplify empathy. Yeah, you know, it's funny when I had to really look at uh, the difference between empathy and compassion, right? Because initially I was like telling people I have to be compassionate. And the problem with compassionate is there's a lot of like, oh, my story that happened to you. Mm. What's, what's the Kardashians doing? You know what I mean? Like, it's just the, like, <laughs> love and light. Mm thoughts and prayers. Um, that to me is, is compassion and, and it has its place, right? And everything, but empathy is like, I stand with you. I am with you. I, I understand. I want to learn more. I want to be a part of this movement. And to me, that's what empathy says. Empathy says, I see you right? Mm -hmm. I'm with you. This affects me too. And I'm going to stand. That's how you amplify it. I'm going to stand with you to make a change. I don't know how I'm going to do that, but I'm going to do my own research and I'm not going to ask you what I should do. I'm going to go on Google. I'm going to look it up and I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to join a group and I'm going to learn. I'm going to do the learning on my own. That's empathy. Compassion is, oh, that's so bad. What can I do? Like, can you tell me what books I should read? Because I really mm. want to be a part of it, but I don't really want to do my own work because really I've always asked black people to do the work for me because I don't really want to. And that's your job. Whereas I just kind of feel like empathy is like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to feel it. I'm going to be here with you. I'm going to march with you. I'm here. You tell me how I can, how I can serve. You just tell me where I need to be with you, how I can help, you know, I'll do my research. I'll be in it, but I see you. I'm with you. So that, that's, I feel the difference in amplify, amplifying that is really taking a deep dive and a deep dig into who you are, why you believe the things you can believe, and are you open to learning something new? And I'm going to use this example. Um, I taught my last 200 hour teacher training last year in 2019. Um, I've been doing a teacher training uh, for like 10 years. So I probably had maybe somewhere in the neighborhood of um, 12 or 15 teacher trainings under my belt, 200 hours. And I decided to run one in 2019. And that was the last one. And the one I really teach my teacher trainings from the lens of social justice and trying to make, um, 
the majority of white teachers that show up in my class aware of what's going on in the world and how they show up in the yoga space. And that wasn't always met in this last 200 hours with, um, that wasn't always embraced. I had a few people in my YTT who, you know, would scream that reverse racism thing and mm -hmm. racism really isn't that bad in Canada and blah, 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 blah. And so there were a few people in my yoga teacher training who were, you know, that really solidified for me that I want to work with people who get this. I don't want to spend my entire existence on this planet trying to convince people of my humanity. So, you know, I decided I'm going to do my, do 300 hour teacher trainings and they're going to be steeped in that. I only want to deal with people who are interested in using their yoga to change the world. If you want to use your yoga to go teach at the, the gym or do a handstand in the middle of the room or whatever it is you want to do with your yoga, that's fine. And I'm sure there's somebody who can teach you that. It's just not me. And so I really noticed that in my teacher training and I was finding myself focusing on those two or three people who were just completely you know, uh, devoid of any knowledge of how the world works. And then very recently, one of my uh, students who came all the way over from Michigan to practice and train with me and had been following me for a while said, I decided to retire last year from teaching. I've been off for, you know, however long she's been off in her retirement and decided, well, I don't think I really like retirement. I'm going to go back to teaching and went and applied at a private Muslim school in her area and had an interview. And she says, I am a white woman with absolutely no knowledge of the struggles of Muslim people or no knowledge of the religion of, um, of Muslim people, but I'm here because I want to learn. And I'm here because mm. I want to be a part of this community and I want to learn. And she said to me that had she not taken my teacher training, she wouldn't have had the brave, that wouldn't have been courageous enough to go and apply for this job and sit in the discomfort. And she said, when she said that she could see the people who were interviewing her kind of tense up for a little bit. But when she said, I'm here to learn, I'm mm. here to embrace, I'm here to support, I want to be here um, to serve your community. And he, she said the relief that the administrators uh, saw when she said that in her interview, and she ultimately ended up getting the job. So I just think, um, I have to watch for myself, not to focus on the people who don't get it, but put, a, put my energy on the people who are curious and want to learn more and do get it because she's going to have such a rich experience of teaching within that school system. And she's going to learn all the stereotypes that we, we, that get, that get pinned on, on the Muslim religion and on Muslim people, or she's going to be able to unpack that and speak to this as speak to this experience to, in a totally different way. Do you know what I mean? Like her whole worldview has just broadened and that's one step to bringing us all closer together. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, that's the beautiful part of, of the amplifying the empathy is broadening their perspective. Like just exactly. opening up your field of vision a little bit outside of yourself. Just a little exactly. bit. A little bit. <laughs> a little I bit, know a little it's hard. Bit. I know it's hard, but let's just give it a try. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just consider, consider it. Yeah, just for um, a minute. Like you can always <laughs> shut the doors back if you don't want to. That's your privilege, right? <laughs> mm, yes, yeah, and that's the the harmless, beautiful part of curiosity, right? You get to open up their perspective, get curious, and then your privilege allows you to close it back up again. Um, so just use your privilege to dive into things like with curiosity and open things up and just see, see how that impacts you. And maybe you'll be motivated to go teach in a neighborhood whose culture of origin is different from yours. And then you get to learn more and serve a community that could probably use someone to build trust with because there's so much yeah. mistrust right between marginalized Absolutely. communities and and white folks which is i'm sure another two-hour conversation oh <laughs> my god i'm for sure i've got lots of stories around that one too uh, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. um yeah well we'll for sure have to have you back that <laughs> on this podcast yeah. and talk about that how oh, how we've cultivated know. distrust and how we can learn to cultivate trust again mm -hmm. or not even again but just for the first time let's, let's for the first time and start to <laughs> 
cautiously walk through things. I always, you know, I always say, you know, not, you know, when you hear that, not all you can fill in the blank, um, mm. you know, whenever I hear that argument. And this is the argument I give back. Yes, um, I have a fear of snakes and not all snakes are poisonous, but I'm not ready to like sit and try to figure out who's poisonous and who's not. I see a snake and I keep my distance. Do you know what I'm saying? Ooh, yes. I don't have a Right? I don't have to figure out who, who's a poisonous snake and who's not, because it might, it might, in the time that I need to learn to figure that out, I might lose my life. So right. I can't, wow. I can't, I can't afford to do that. I, that's not a luxury that I have. Powerful, powerful analogy. Thank you so much for that. I hope people listening can feel that. You don't have mm-hmm. the time. I don't. Your life is at <laughs> risk. It's true. Just, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Well, we're going to start to wrap it up, Diane. It's been such a pleasure. And before we round this off, how can people get in touch with you or follow your work or support you? Or do you have a PayPal account? People can send just money, just cause to you. Um, (laughs) Drop all that information. How can people follow you, support you? Yeah, follow and support. Yeah, um, everything you need to know about me, <laughs> and probably more than you ever want to know about me, uh, you can find on my website, Diane Bondi Yoga. Uh, it has links to my Instagram. I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, where I share a lot of my personal life. I share a lot of work, the work that I do around uh, dis- uh, dismantling racism, body positivity, uh, personal empowerment, a lot of the work that I do there. I have a website called yogaforeveryone.tv, so you can check that out as well. If you're not able to uh, practice with me in person, I'm there. I'm going to be launching a series of new courses starting in the next few months around creative sequencing for different bodies with different abilities. I'm doing a yoga and social justice um, workshop, and all that stuff is going to be on line seeing as I as far as we know uh, we're not going to be able to get together in big spaces for a while so I want to make sure that I can offer this to as many people as I can and it seems online is currently the way to go so stay mm-hmm. tuned to my website dianebondyyoga.com and uh, you know you'll be able to see what's going on and eventually I, I think I'll start traveling probably not till 2021 uh, and then we'll get kind of get back on track. But that's where you can find me and on all my social media. Uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook are the ones that I do right now. Pinterest. <laughs> Amazing. Great. Thank you, everybody. Go to Diane Bondi's website. And that's double N in the Diane, just in case. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Though I'm sure if they were to just type it, it would show up it's fine but yes go follow diane support her work spread the word about her work diane has been doing this work long before it became hot and popping in the wellness industry um so you know much respect to the folks that have been trailblazing the way to bridge uh wellness with social justice because they are inextricably linked they are they are and the body is political and yoga has always been political because yoga has always you know been embodied through the body so you for those of us who think we can detach from um the political political sphere we can't because politics determines everything about us where we get to live what food shows up in our grocery stores uh where yoga studios and wellness spaces get to be how how advertising is done everything that we engage in is political. So if you care and want to amplify empathy, then you need to look at your own politics. You need to look at yourself and you need to look at your worldview in order to expand it so that we can all feel safe and included. Yes. Snaps to that. Thank you. Um, (laughs) To close off, I was wondering, Diane, if you'd be open to lead us Uh, and the listeners through three cleansing breaths. No pressure. I know I'm putting you on the hot seat, but I'd love to close (laughs) off with like three cleansing breaths to just ground and acknowledge what we received in our body through listening to this podcast together and just honoring and holding space for that. So are you up for leading the three breaths? I am. So yeah, let's get into it. 
So if you're seated and you feel comfortable and there's a back on your chair, you can lean back into your chair and gently just tuck the lower tips of the shoulder blades onto the base of the heart. And anywhere where your body makes contact with either a chair or the floor. So if you're standing, you wanna root down through your feet by pushing down through all four corners of your feet, pushing wide with the legs, rooting down through your seat, curling the shoulder blades onto the back bringing the chin parallel to the floor and making your heart expansive. Because as we inhale, we want to illuminate the heart and be open to possibility. And as we exhale, we want to soften into knowing the self. So let's do that together. Let's inhale, lift the heart, draw the lower tips of the shoulder blades onto the back and that we're opening to possibility. And then as we exhale, let's soften and let everything become an opportunity to look inward. And again, you can make that breath in through the nose, out through the mouth if you want, or in through the nose, out through the nose, whatever feels comfortable. So do two more breaths on your own. And when you've taken your final breath, make it really full and really set an intention to show up in the world that really allows you to make space for all of us to be seen and make space if, if you need it for you to be seen and then exhale that out through the mouth <sighs> bless 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 peace 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 diane thank you to you as well my friend and i'm very excited next time i'm in the hammer to, to check out your space. Like I'm very excited to see a wellness and a wellness space owned by a woman of color. And I always love to support those of us who may not always be at the forefront of everyone's mind. Mm, ditto. Thank you. And ditto. And yes, I am so honored and touched. And for those who don't know, this is my first live interview on this podcast, oh, wow. my brand new podcast. No way! This is episode number three, episode number three with the one and only Diane Bondi on Juneteenth. We didn't even plan that, but wow. I know. <laughs> Divine wow. timing. And Divine timing. And a shout out to Ju Juneteenth and all the history behind it. If you don't know about Juneteenth, Google it and, uh, and educate yourself. It's, it's pretty impactful. Mm -hmm. Yes. And while we're shouting out, shout out to the folks of Yoga Teachers of Color, um, who is how actually we were able to finally connect directly. So thank you to the folks who have been building and researching to platform and amplify the work of yoga teachers of color. Go follow them on Instagram as well. Yes, please. Awesome. All right, there it is. Thank you so much, Diane. And we Thanks. will have you back soon if you'll come back again soon. Absolutely. I'm making a plan to come up to the greater Hamilton area in the next couple of weeks to visit my mom and to hang out with my bros. So I'm going to make sure that um, I, uh, I touch base with you when I'm in town. Sweet. Well, thank you again. And to everybody listening, thank you for sharing your privilege of time and attention and open-hearted curiosity. And we'll catch you on the next episode of Empowered Embodiment. Peace, y'all.